So I'm here with Fred Adams now, who works on the idea of a multiverse. So can you explain what a multiverse is and why you think there should be one? Well, a multiverse is just a collection of different universes, which leads to the question, why do you think there should be more than one universe? So our universe started in what I like to call a Big Bang moment. The moment isn't perfectly defined because of quantum gravity, but sometime about 10 point, or 13.8 billion years ago, our universe was launched into its current existence through some kind of event. And we can measure time from that starting point. Now that launching of a universe event leads to our universe, our area of space-time, part of which we can measure, part of which is too far away for us to measure, but nonetheless our space-time. So if that event can happen once, it can happen, in principle, more than once. So that means that there should be a whole collection of different universes. And that collection of different universes, that ensemble of different universes, is called a multiverse. Mm -hmm. So what would these other universes look like? Then, I, Would they all be like ours? Would they be different? Are they different? Well, that's the question. One of the reasons that people um, are interested in this question is the following. If you look at our universe, we have a particular set of the laws of physics, a particular realization of the laws of physics, with a particular particular strength for the gravitational constant, a particular strength for the fine structure constant, So and these so are on. constants of nature? That the basic constants of nature. They have particular values in our universe, and people worry that if they had different constants, or different values, then our universe would not work. You couldn't have a working star if you make g too much different, the gravitational g too much different than the value in our universe. So. One of the ways to explain, at least in part, why we have the constants we do is to say that there's a whole collection of universes, and whatever the allowed distribution of these constants is, that collection of universes will sample that distribution. So there will be a universe pretty much for every possible combination of constant according to some distribution. Yeah, we don't know what that distribution is, which is a key thing we would like to know, and we don't. But nonetheless, we would sample all of the allowed distribution. Then the fact that we live in a universe that has our particular realization of those constants is somewhat less of a mystery. But I, I want to emphasize it's only a partial explanation. It kind of gives us a plausibility argument, but it doesn't really get down to the predictive power of saying, well, that's why we have this value of G. It just says, well, it makes sense that we have a value, a set of constants that allow stars and planets and people to exist, because we're here, we have to, but it doesn't give us an a priori prediction of that. So it's only a partial explanation. Now the reason why it's useful is we can then study um, what would happen in these other universes with other constants. And we can see how likely it is for structure to form in these other parts of the universe, these other universes. And we can see how far you have to change the constants of nature and still get some kind of working universe. And how do you figure that out. So you, you use your knowledge about how structures are created in our universe, things like stars, and then you use that knowledge to figure out what kind of structures could emerge in other universes with different constants of nature. Is that how it works? That's basically how it works. <clears throat> so in slightly more detail, um, astrophysics is a big field <laughs> and the universe is a big place. So to answer any question like this, you have to define the problem a little more carefully. So the way I would define it, the way I'm currently defining it, is to say the structures I'm interested in are complex nuclei, like the ones that come out of the Big Bang, stars, planets, galaxies, or large-scale structure. 
So on those four different scales, we can ask the question, what does it take to get those structures to form and live or exist? And then we also have to ask the question, well, what laws of physics am I allowed to vary? So to start with, I'm just going to vary the, the there's four forces, so I'm going to vary the strength of those four forces. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. And in that realm, um, let's start with the gravitational constant and the fine structure constant. Fine structure constant determines... The strength of electromagnetism. Mm -hmm. So the, the key question is, if I just take two things and I vary them, what happens? Okay. And the first thing we're going to study is stars. So the question is, if you vary the fine structure constant alpha and the gravitational constant g over 10 orders of magnitude up and down, what fraction of that parameter space has stars? Now, if you use a logarithmic parameter space, then the volume of that parameter space is about a quarter. So that means a quarter of the universes will have stars in it? Yes. That means a quarter of that parameter space in logarithmic space, to be clear, you can do the measure differently. Um, but in that formalism, a quarter of the time, a quarter of the parameter space will allow for working stars. And a working star is a star that's um, capable of undergoing nuclear fusion. So I've assumed that fusion works the same way it does in our universe. And it will undergo fusion in a sustained way so that it doesn't explode as a bomb. And if you use the equations of stellar structure and build a stellar structure model, you can do this calculation fairly accurately, but still vary the constants over 10 orders of magnitude and get an answer. So the point being, the bottom line from all of this first study is that the parameter space that allows for stars is large. You can vary the constants by orders of magnitude, up, down, left, and right, and you still get working stars. Now, if you vary them too much, you don't. But it's not super fine-tuned that if you measure, or if you change gravitational constant by one part in a million, you don't get stars anymore. So you can change it by factors of 10 and 100 and 1,000 and still get stars. So basically, then, the, <coughs> the occurrence of stars isn't such an unusual thing at all. It just it happens in quite a wide range. Of it happens in quite a wide range. Mm -hmm. But then the next step is to say, well, what if I don't just want stars? I want the stars to have certain properties. I want the stars to be hot enough. I want the stars to live a long time. And by long time, I mean the same number of ticks of the atomic clock that our star has lived. So the moral equivalent of a billion years. Where a billion years will be measured differently in a different universe because the atoms behave differently because the fine structure cost is different. So if you take all that into account and you say, well, if I want hot stars and long-lived stars, what part of my parameter space is left? The answer is most of it. You do lose a little bit of parameter space, but most of it is still there. And if you also require that planets are non-degenerate, that planets can hold on to their atmospheres, that planets are smaller than their stars, that stars are smaller than their host galaxies, that galaxies can form and gas can cool, then you lose about half of that parameter space. So half, half of the universe, you lose half of the universes that contain stars. stars. <coughs> yeah, half of the universes that contain mm -hmm. stars will not satisfy those other eight constraints that I just rattled off. Right. But the other half of those half, the other half will. So we're still left with quite a large parameter space where you can have working stars with all of those properties. And those are the kinds of properties that you want to make a universe like ours. With but, life? Well, we don't know what it takes to get life, but I think that if you want life as we know it, there could be life that we just cannot imagine, but if you want life as we know it on planets driven by stars, then you need these constraints. You need planets 
you need planets with those properties, you need stars, you need stars with those properties. And that parameter space I outlined, which is a f half of a fourth, so it's an eighth of that original log-log plane, that gives you the hope of having life as we know it. It's necessary but not sufficient because there's other things that have to happen. And we don't actually know exactly what the ingredients are for life. But this just makes um, the universes amenable to life in the way our universe is amenable to life. That's what the constraint is. Mm -hmm. Now, I should also remark that if you add enough constraints, if you say, well, I don't just want all of those things I've talked about so far, but I want this property of the universe that we have and this other property of the universe we have and this other property of the universe that we have, if we add enough of those together, we will get our universe, right? Because mm. if you put enough constraints together, yes. it's going to happen, right? So you want to be general enough to not do that, but specific enough that the universes that you're selecting for are life-friendly, right? So that's kind of a, a challenge to this kind of thing. Now, the right way to do this, in my opinion, is simply to say, well, probability distributions aside, step one is to say, how much can I vary alpha, how much can I vary g, and still have a star? So the real question, and where you suspend all your time, is the physics of it, just to see how far you can bend the constants and still have working stars, and working planets, and working galaxies. Mm -hmm. And um, now, there is no way we could ever see inside any of these other universes, is there? Well, that's the problem. The problem is that, by definition, another universe is outside the causal contact of our universe. So we are not allowed to do an experiment to look inside. Now, there are obscure possibilities where these different regions of space-time that we're calling other universes would collide, and you could see the collision. But that's not what we're studying here, and that's not very likely, but never say never, of course. But that's um, not what we're doing. So by definition, this kind of program is, in some sense, counterfactual. But at the same time, I think um, it does give us a certain amount of understanding. So even if we can't go into other universes and measure their values of the constants and see what their stars look like, by doing this kind of exercise, we can see how robust stars are in our universe, how much you can vary constants and still have stars. And what that leads to is a greater understanding of how stars work in our universe. And what we're about as physicists and scientists is to understand how the universe works. So even by studying classes of the universe that are not our own, we can still gain insight into how our own works. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. So I think it's a useful program just for the general understanding of stars. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much.